second viewing. New look, same great taste. I'm Kyle. I'm Dan. Shakabra. Today in the podcast, we got the 2010 film Midnight in Paris, directed by our boy and, well, actually kind of an asshole, Woody Allen. Um, but that's besides <laughs> the point. Um, this film's actually pretty interesting, I think, because... I don't know. I think it was one of those movies we never really considered doing for the cast, but when a friend kind of brought it up, we're like, hey, perfect. Let's talk about that one. This is one of those flicks we both really enjoyed. We definitely really liked it the first time around. Yeah, yeah. And I think we've got some pretty good things to talk about. Although, going into this movie, I thought there was kind of a lot more, like, thematically or even, like, metaphorically to really talk about and deconstruct. I agree. I think it ended up being uh, more more factual information. It's more straightforward. it's, It's not, like... Like, if we knew more about the history of some of the characters that show up, yeah. like Ernest Hemingway and right. whatever, then maybe it might be a little bit more, um, I don't even know what the word for it is, in, um, deep. Yeah, like, well, we could get, like, a, you know, kind of like the inside joke. We might find, it, ah, it's funny, it's a little tidbit here yeah. and there. Like, those little Easter eggs that I'm sure are there. And But, like, we'll get into that a little bit later, but I think you're right about that. It's kind of hard for us to truly appreciate that side of the film. But on the other hand, I think... Like, in the first, like, 20 minutes, the film kind of tells you exactly what it's about. Yeah. And any kind of, like, deeper meaning, there's not a lot to really... Which, or it's not very hard to dig into. And I got like, you know, depending on the audience that you're catering to, that could be a good or a bad thing, right? Like, yeah. if you want to reach sort of some more um, mainstream audiences or, like, a wider range of people, I think maybe there should be a little bit less symbolism, a little bit less hidden behind... I think you're right, uh, man. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think maybe it's just my own issue at this point because, like, the last couple of movies we've done have been, like... Deeply symbolic. <laughs> deeply symbolic, like, uh, Drive and, like, Emily and things like that, like, where we had to literally do some pretty good research and, like, yeah. you know, and then, uh, really take notes on that. But there's lots to talk about with this movie, too. There it's is a lot, yeah. different. But, yeah, it's a different, it's a different style, which so, I think is good. It's fun to talk about. Even the lobster, dude. Def- the lobster was intense. Yeah. That was a lot. But, um... Definitely good to switch it up. Yeah, 100%. Um, Let's jump into the synopsis, sir. We'll get right into it. Okay, so like I said, this is a 2010 film directed by Woody Allen that tells the tale of Gil Pender, who is an American screenwriter who travels to Paris with his future wife and eventually stumbles upon the past of of Paris that he kind of longs for and has these crazy uh, nostalgic feelings about. And he he time travels back then and becomes engrossed with that uh, society and uh, community. So it's definitely a time-traveling movie, but not how you've seen it before. This isn't Back to the Future, folks. No. If you want to see that, you can check out our previous episode. Episode 10, I'm episode pretty 10. sure. Let's go with 10. Then we'll check that out. Yeah. Fact check. Might have to, we might yeah. need a fact check on that real quick. But, but um, no, so yeah, there is an element of time travel, although it, I wouldn't say it feels science fiction. But um, no, it 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 almost feels like it's a dream. He's yeah, yeah. But it's actually now that I bring that up, the science fiction thing is funny to say because this movie has a book inside the movie that literally parallels the movie. And there's a point in the film where a character says, "Oh, I was enjoying your book. It almost feels a little bit science fiction," because the film, right. ha- I guess, technically yeah. does have science fiction elements. I wouldn't call it sci-fi, but I mean, in terms of time it travel, to be that is described in a way the audience could like grab that thought and, like, apply it to the movie. Kind yeah. Of and like you were saying about it being more accessible to a wider audience, it actually is. Like, factually, it is because this is the highest-grossing Woody Allen film of all time. Really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, the box office. Yeah. Um, uh, higher than Henry and Her Sisters, or I'm, the title's kind of escaping me right now. But, yeah. So, I mean, obviously people gravitated towards this. He's an acclaimed director, acclaimed writer, and it won an award as well, right? Yeah, this film won a uh, best screenplay at the 2011 Academy Awards. Um, 
I kind of saw this movie right when I was getting into, like, independent cinema and, like, really into film. So this one kind of does, um, and I was taking, like, an art history class at the time. So yeah. it kind of really hit me. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, dude, this movie's, like, killer. Like, it just it just kind of got me in the right spot when I first saw yeah. it. Um, but going into this again, like I was saying, I was excited to see where it would take us. And uh, I guess that's where we'll start this thing off, just talking about the first uh, important element of this movie, which we figure is the p- past. So um, this movie kind of uh, right off the bat lets you know that the main character, Gil, played by Owen Wilson. Uh, by the way, a bit of a Wedding Crashers reunion in this movie. We got Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams. <laughs> That's uh, in the leading roles, love interest. It's a great flick. Um, yeah, so that's – he off the bat, you understand that this guy loves – the past. He loves the idea of Paris in the twenties and walking through the streets in the rain, and he just yeah, he romanticizes that idea. Yeah, he loves the culture. Um, he loves uh, old school literature. Um, you know, he's definitely very into uh, the the whole idea, basically. Right. And because there's so many really great um, classic uh, no- novelists and everything else. Um, coming from Paris back in those days, maybe. Yeah, and I mean, he's a writer himself. He's currently trying to write his first novel. So it's interesting that, I mean, I guess not interesting, but it, it makes sense, right? Like, if you're someone you're interested in and you're surrounded by, like, the past, like, uh, like oh, this is what this person did, this and that. Like, we'd be the same way, really, if we went somewhere we are where a movie yeah. set took place. He'd be like, holy exactly. shit, that's where they filmed Jaws. Like, what? Or like, and also, you know, you can tell he's not going about it. He's not doing it just to make a buck. No, he's not. No. He's not going at it like it's his day job. He's going at it because he's passionate about it. He doesn't care about the money. He wants to make a really quality book. He wants to go down in history with the rest of these um, other authors that he is so fond of. And like he, he is still writing. He's a screenwriter for uh, you know, kind of campy or cheesy movies in Hollywood, and he recognizes that they're not like, you know, critically thinking deep you know, material, yeah. and he's looking at these past writers that you're talking about, and he, he wishes he could, you know, make something meaningful and, like, a something really ex- big like that. Yeah, he wants to explore something more artful, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I mean, even just from an outsider's point of view, Paris feels like it's a place where you you would be surrounded like that, more than yeah. we are here to a degree, right? Because mm-hmm. we live in buttfuck Saskatchewan, so, you know. Ew, shout out. <laughs> but, um... I think the past is important because we'll get into some of the bigger themes in this movie, but he wants to be a part of the past. So we'll set the stage a little bit uh, more for you. He's in Paris with his wife, played by Rachel McAdams, because they're there with her parents because his dad, her dad's making a new business deal with his company, and they decide to tag along. And while they're there, he decides to take these walks at night in which... After midnight, the clock strikes, and he travels back into the 1920s and starts hanging out with, like, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ernest Hemingway, mm-hmm. uh, Gertrude Stein, T.S. Eliot, all these huge historical figures in terms of uh, art and literature. The movie sets yeah. you up, you know, wanting you to think that Owen Wilson's character, um, Gil, is searching for that. He's yeah. out for a walk. He's searching for inspiration. He's searching for some kind of magic that he's read about that the 1920s were like in Paris. He's searching for a piece of this kind of magic to bring into his book or to inspire him That's in some true. Way. He's looking for that yeah, inspiration. He's looking for something to like rekindle yeah. the fire because I think but they mentioned... You can tell he's, he's searching for something. Like, well, yeah, you know, he's he's, men- they mentioned that he's having problems with the book, right? He's having problems writing and read and... Uh, kind of revising it. So like you're saying, yeah. he wants to find some that spark to kind of like 
help ignite, you know, the rest of that creative process to take place. And you're right, like, from the beginning of the film, they make it seem like he's there to find what he's looking for. And yeah. it just so happens that he tagged along. He doesn't really want anything. That's the thing. It's almost this. like a dream when he goes to the past. He f- sort of falls into the past. Yeah. You know, it's a... Um, it, he, it, it sort of finds him in a certain way where he, like, the first night, clock strikes midnight, and next thing you know, he's lost and he's in old 1920s Paris. He's super confused, but he's in love with it. Yeah. He's, like, basically living out a dream. And if I can remember, he was super upset to leave. Yeah, he didn't want, like, he he knew that he had commitments to, like... Which, it also paints a picture of his relationship with his wife, too. It's well, that's like, the thing. This whole movie is, like... They it says t- it all right in the beginning. Yeah, they, she, she literally says, you, you're in love with a fantasy. And that's exactly what it is. He's in love with this, fa- this fantasized version of Paris in the 1920s and how he thinks it's going to be. And when he travels back, it's exactly that. It's whatever he dreamed it to be is how he's living it out. But the thing with him and his wife is, like, uh, they, they kind of make every other character in this movie to seem unlikable. And the thing that is kind of weird for me is by the end of this film, on the second watch, or second viewing, if you will, uh, I found him very unlikable, to be honest with you. So I didn't really leave. I, I ended up really enjoying the parts in the past with those characters. And, you know, everyone that was going, coming and going through Gertrude Stein's house and... Ernest Hemingway making a conversation about the war and things like that. I found that really enjoyable, but yeah. uh, like uh, some of those scenes are really kind of cool and magical. But by totally. the time he gets back to the present world, he's just an asshole to his wife. Kind of honestly, yeah. he's always like sneaking around her and like not being honest. And well, I think you know, it paints a picture of the fact that he doesn't really care about her. He doesn't want to be with her. He's with yeah. her because you know he's been pushed in that direction, or he's been. That's the way things went. He was kind of going with the flow with it while trying. Uh, that's how I see it. Yeah, anyway. yeah, I think you're right. While he's yeah. trying to explore his creative talents and his, and he brings it up too. He said he figures that out for like by the end of the movie, he figures that out that you know him and his yeah. wife aren't working out. But sticking with the past, I think it is a good idea to bring up some of these characters that he introduces himself to through this time traveling technique, and he yeah, so he runs into uh, the Fitzgeralds. Shout out to our boy yeah. Drew Fitz, by the way. Drew Fitz, uh, about Drew Fitz production. Um, and, you know, obviously the writer of Great Gatsby, things like that. Um, and right off the bat, you kind of like, I don't know a lot of what even like F. Scott Fitzgerald looked like or what is past. We, we know was. very little about the, you know, American literature. Especially literature. Um, like when they bring in Picasso and uh, Pablo uh, uh, Picasso, I think it's a little... I know a little bit more about that, but, like, in terms of literature, I'm pretty much lost. Yeah. I'm familiar with the names, familiar yeah. with kind of what they've done. But it's funny because... Don't know a lot about it's it. It's funny that you say that because even the name is kind of like, oh, okay. You yeah. kind of have that reaction like, oh, okay, I understand. It's yeah. kind of fun. But to me, it's like, you know, when someone says Scott F. Fitzgerald, I picture the book. I don't picture a person. I can't even imagine of what right. this person would look like. But I guess one thing the movie does really well is, it, you know, it paints a picture of what that person could be like. It's funny that you say that, because now I'm always going to probably think that Tom Hiddleston is F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah, he's probably going to come to mind next, which, which is cool. I mean, I'd say that's definitely something this film does right. Um, but, you you know, I totally agree with you as well. Gil becomes a little bit unlikable. I think my the way I went into the, the second viewing in this of this uh, movie was... 
that I had already decided the first time around I liked it. So when I had began watching it the second time, you know, I didn't even question my thoughts. Uh, I didn't really look too hard. And then by right. the end of the movie, it, it was just kind of like, huh? Didn't get much more out of it. Um, still liked it, but right. it wasn't it wasn't the same experience as watching The Lobster the second time or I, watching I, Drive the second time. I had a, I had a almost like I had a similar but different experience. Like the first half, I was like trying to find the symbol the symbolism, and I was trying really hard. And then eventually, I was like, you know what? It, what's there is there. I'm just gonna give up, and I just kind of sat back and just watched it. Just yeah, kind of turned my brain off for a second. But even then, after that second half, I was kind of like, Gil's kind of an asshole. <laughs> like, and he, it's. It kind of made me very realize. Very opinionated, you know. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. There's this character Paul in the film, who's this asshole, uh, like know-it-all kind of guy, who's a a friend of Inez's, and um, they make him seem like he's this guy that oh he's just getting in the way and he thinks he knows everything and he's and sure that's right, but by the end of the day, Gil's the same guy. Yeah, Gil he's is the exact he, same way. Gil's trying to fight fire with fire because. Gil's upset that this guy's a bigger know-it-all than him. Yeah. So he tries to be an even bigger know-it-all to, like, And his wife him. even makes a comment about how he doesn't take uh, input from anyone else seriously. She's like, oh, you should let Paul read your book. Maybe he could give you some, just some feedback, and you can take that as constructive criticism. That guy? He's that like, that guy? guy? That guy's a pseudo-intellectual. And she's like, well, he's a professor, and he's doing a speech. He's doing a talk here in Paris. He's must be somewhat qualified. Yeah. He's like, ah, whatever. <laughs> I yeah. just kind of, I mean, I don't know. I think there's, it's one thing to say to have kind of like a petty grudge over someone. Fair enough. We probably all have that to a degree. But when you're trying to make one guy seem like an asshole or has a negative connotation, but really those characteristics are still on that character, it's hard for that to translate well. It's kind of a clusterfuck, basically, because everyone around Gil aids to each other's shittiness. It's like, you know... Paul is even shittier when 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 uh, he's around Gil's wife, and and they each aid to each character becoming shittier. Right, you know, it becomes right. this clusterfuck of kind of like everyone sucks except Gil, and then by the end of the movie, you're not even sure if you like Gil anymore. <laughs> I know. So you're kind of like, what's going on? But luckily, luckily for this film, though, like I mean, those are some of our negative opinions, but. Um Luckily for this movie, what does say that does save it is the scenes in the past because they're really fun. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it is a good movie. I still stand by that. I like it. I think I like it too, but unfortunately, I have to say it, it was one of my. I would. I think I even told you it's like that's kind of one of my favorite movies. I'm pretty sure it's up there for me for sure. Yeah. But it's mad. I don't think it is anymore. Yeah. Uh, See, it's cool what happens on the second time around. You figure out, like when I watched Drive again, wow, I had this thing. I just had this feeling like, holy shit, this movie's so good. It's definitely yeah. one of my favorites. I'm I would maybe replace again. Midnight Paris with Drive in like my top ten. Yeah. Because right Drive, totally do. Drive like, fucking dr- blew me Drive away. moved up on, my li- up on my list and I'd already seen it. How cool is that? And now Midnight in Paris has taken a step back. Still a good movie. But I, I guess it's kind of the friends of movies. It's a great background show. It is like that's the thing. It is. It is. Is exactly that. There's not. I don't know. It's. It's There's not a lot to get invested in. You're not getting too invested though. in any. Characters, what really intrigues really. me is that there is some cool things to talk about. There's some really cool thought about the past, the present, and nostalgia. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they don't. They don't make the viewer search for it too hard. But it's not to the point where they force feed it to you. It's right. They're right on the. They're right on the equilibrium with it, which I can really appreciate. I think that's why the movie is good. I don't think it's bad. I just, I don't think it was as fantastic as I once thought. Yeah. That being said, um, talking a little bit more about the past here, just because I wanted to get into some of these characters, um, 
Thoughts on Hemingway? I thought Hemingway was dope. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was awesome. He was, I don't know. He's almost kitschy in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has this like I'm a I'm a tough man, but then at the same time he's like kind of making these like suave love remarks to Adriana yeah. and all these things. And exactly. He's definitely he's a really well-rounded character. I quite liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I almost know nothing about Hemingway besides some of his work, but. Exactly. I don't know how he is, nah. but you I appreciate gotta like that him just based on the character. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, that was that was pretty fun. Um, just seeing the interaction of how like the parties took place in the twenties, and um, the setting too, because this this film movie was filmed in Paris, and the first like three minutes are literally just like these postcard like shots of yeah. important places of, in Paris, and I think. Woody Allen just kind of telling you, like, this place is beautiful. This is where dreams come true. This is a magical place. Yeah, I want you to get invested right off the bat into this. The movie paints a picture of what the history is, which is cool. I think that's why I still like it is it's it's full of history and facts and location. And it's trying to capture a certain feeling. And I think it does to an extent. The scenes in the past do to a certain extent. Um, But... uh, how do I explain this? But, like, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah. for instance, when you watch, like, a really good documentary that you know nothing about, and you come out of it feeling like you learned something. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. It's like you sit down and you yeah, watch this. in a certain way. You yeah. S- you watch this, and you're like, sure, maybe this isn't, it's obviously not, like, it's fiction. It's not yeah. factual. But you come out, you're kind of like, oh, maybe that is how F. Scott Fitzgerald was. Uh, Hemingway kind of seemed like a badass. It just pays it, yeah. yeah. It pays a tribute to a certain uh, a certain point in history, which I can appreciate. Totally. Know? And, I mean, it's it's one of those things that... I would venture to say both of us don't pay a lot of attention to. Yeah. And oh, so, yeah, it's definitely not a, a not a theme we've been exploring a lot lately in films. So I think it's cool that it's, you know, that's a new idea. I like that it's it's interpreting what someone else, what Woody Allen thinks about the past. Because who knows how accurate everything is. Right. But I'm His sure there's a lot of, it, of fact in it. But yeah. I think it's cool to see someone else's perception of what they totally. think it would be like. Totally. And for the most part, I think it's conveyed in a really entertaining way. It's yeah. like you want to hang out with these people. You want to go have a drink with them. You know, like yeah, you want exactly. to be there at these parties and you want to kind of meet these characters. Even if you're not a history buff, like the, this movie makes you think yeah. how cool would it be to be in Owen Wilson's shoes, which is not said a lot, by the way. <sighs> That's true. People don't say how cool would it be to be Owen wow. Wilson. Not a lot of wow. people say that, dude. Wow. What we, also, I look up the five or six minute supercut of Owen Wilson saying wow over and over again. Wow. It's a great video. Wow. Um, I gotta no. point out that this pop filter is so fucking big. That's a big pop filter. Honestly, it I was rocking that one for the past two weeks, and I kind of forced it upon you this yeah, week. Yeah, you did. You took my good chair, my oh, lean chair. Oh, your good chair. You, yeah, you took keep- the promethazine lean chair, dude. I'm a Find little upset. Keepers, Find us keepers, dude. Find us keepers. You took the, the DJ headphones. Well, okay, well, with that said, I think we're going to take right. a little break here, and we'll come back and uh, talk a little bit more about Midnight in Paris, get into some more thematic elements, and uh, the get you guys after the breaker. And the thief who stole my headphones. And we're back. All right, so before the break, we were just talking about the past as a main characteristic and uh, thematic point in Midnight in Paris. Right now, we're going to bring it to the present, though. Let's, let's take a step back into the present. Okay, sure. Let's we'll go back to there. the future, I guess. If you yeah, you said that. got what I... Well, <laughs> was it in the same vein? I didn't want to steal Part two. Too. All right, let's move on. All right. Let's go back to the future. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So, I don't know, when when you think about the, the future part of this movie, or the present part of this movie, sorry, um, what, what, what comes to mind? Because for me, I picture the museum scene and the wife just daunting on uh, Yeah. Gil, you I, know? I, honestly, man, me too. Like, the whole, most of the present scenes deal with the family, or, like, uh, his wife, her, his uh, soon-to-be wife and her parents, uh, 
and her two friends. I guess a lot of that is because basically during the day he's in the present and during most of the evenings he's... Yeah, uh, once midnight strikes, he's he's doing his thing in the 20s there, but... And during the day, who is he with? His family. Yeah, and this... I don't know, his... Look at... <coughs> the conversations and interactions he has with his wife always seem so hostile to me. And they just paint the picture that, like, this wife is just, like, the worst. Because every scene she's in, she's nagging him. She doesn't respect him, doesn't care what he says or thinks. Tells yeah. him to be quiet and listen to listen to the other guy. And, like, she that can't be how she is the whole time. <laughs> they just make her seem right? so there's, shitty. There's got to be some kind of, like... They make her yeah, seem like she make... has no redeeming qualities, basically. Yeah, like, they make it... They almost make it seem like, how the fuck did Gil even... Date this girl. Exactly. She's it's like, the oh, Gil, Gil's such a great. Um, oh, good old Gil. What a great guy. How's he dating such a bitch? Like that's what the whole movie like makes you think. And that being said, we did come up with the conclusion that Gil actually ends up being a bit of an asshole. Yeah, so and maybe that's. I guess maybe they're a good match. It might even be a redeeming in, factor in the way the story's told. But overall, the present scenes, they're kind of hard to watch. But I think. Maybe Woody Allen made it that way so that when you're in the past scenes, they feel really, like, worth your while. Right. And you really enjoy them, and they're kind of, like, a relief almost. <laughs> I know, but it's, to me, it's almost sad that a movie, uh, that a film would have to do something like that. I'm right. going to make sure that the crowd doesn't stretch, enjoy though. this part as much so that they look forward to well, it. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily parts of the film. I think it's more so based in the story. Just... Like, driving home the point that the past is better than the present. Yeah. Like, oh, the present's so shitty. My wife is nagging me. She has these awful friends. Nobody cares about my work, and I don't know even what I'm doing with my work. But when I'm in the past, I'm having a blast. You know, it's like, it's that. <laughs> blast that's from what the, the past. Blast from the past, exactly. Okay, but I got a question to ask you. Do you think um, Do you think this movie is about him writing the book or his relationship with his wife or his love, his, like, the love story? I think it's, I would say neither. But I would say it's more so about him writing the book. I okay. think it's it's about him coming to terms with what is lacking in his life and how he has to fulfill that and how he goes about fulfilling that. Right, but you could say that him writing the book is is bringing that fulfillment in his life. So I, know, I would agree with l- that. Look at the movie after you say that it is like okay. So after saying that this movie is about him coming to terms with things that are missing in his life, looking at the movie, it's like. What did he really come to terms with? He just basically broke up with his wife. Well, I think he realized that he needed to move forward and that he was living in the past kind of thing, right? Like, that was the idea. And in the end of the film, he walks. But see, that's why this film kind of doesn't work for me because he's trying to move forward, yet he ends up with a woman who's living in the past. And it's kind of like, I don't know. It's strange because the movie tells this idea where it's like, you know, it's great to it's great to enjoy the past and have these awesome memories and you know, appreciate things that are in the past, but you can't obsess over that or else it's going to consume you. Right. But at the end of the movie, he's still obsessed with the past. It's kind of like, yeah. he decides to stay in Paris. He decides to live his life in Paris, even though it's not the Paris in the twenties. He still wants to be there. And the woman he falls for is someone who works at a nostalgia shop and loves nostalgia. We'll get to that in a little bit, but that's where things kind of. Don't work for me, unfortunately. Right. I would say specifically the present tense of this movie doesn't quite work for me. Mm-hmm. That being said, the themes they're telling about past and present do work for me. Just based on the character in the movie, it's it's a little bit strange. It, it doesn't quite connect. But um, talking about their relationship, like the wife's relationship and stuff, I do love the scene in the in the, in the library or not the library, the museum. Sorry, where. Uh, 
her uh, her friend is talking about uh, Picasso's work. Oh, Paul or whatever. Yeah, Paul yeah. is talking about uh, some about Picasso's work, and he's like, "Oh, and this right here is a magnificent piece of uh, Picasso's uh, longtime mistress." And uh, some say that it was a failed attempt at uh, you know trying to capture her true emotion. And then Gil comes in and he's like, well, actually, I'm pretty sure it was about his mistress, Adriana, and it was actually a failed attempt at capturing her true beauty because she was just stunning and wild in the sack. And he walks away. <laughs> and it's just so weird, but like it's really kind of funny. a really pretentious scene. Well, he's trying to, like, like, up him. Yeah, he's know? trying to, exactly yeah. what we talked about before. He's, <laughs> he's trying to beat him at his own game. He's trying to one-up him. And it's, Which and is, it's it gets, kind of funny. That, that gets old. Mind you, they don't do it too much. They do it enough for me to find that scene entertaining. Yeah. Because he's not, like... Like the viewer itself, the viewer themselves kind of has to realize that Gil's an asshole. Like the movie, not, at, ne- at no point tells you that Gil's an asshole. They tell you the opposite, pretty yeah. much. They tell you Gil's the best. Basically. Exactly. They want you to think <laughs> Gil is the fucking best. Um, but maybe that is sucks. also the point. Maybe they're trying to realize that this man who's obsessed with the past is an asshole in the present, right? Maybe mm-hmm. that's kind of the idea. Um, I'm glad that they never toyed with the idea that he could alter the future by getting too nosy. Oh, me too, dude. That because that's so a fucking it's a it's a loophole. It's like a it's a dark hole to go, go down for movies. It's it, you'll it's never like, you never get out of that. It's like everything was a dream, right? It's just like so yeah. cliche. I mean, it worked in Back to the Future because it was one of the first movies to do that, and it's iconic. But it's been done to death, and that's since. basically what the movie's about. Yeah, that too. Um, but that's good that you bring that up because there's one part of this movie I really like is where. Um, Gil starts to fall in love with this woman called Adriana, who's from the 20s, and she's a bit of a counterpart to him because she's obsessed with the turn of the century. So she's this woman in the past who's obsessed, obsessed with a time of... the future, yeah. She's obsessed with the time that was even further in the past. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they're very much the same people in the way that she thinks the 20s are boring and that the turn of the century was the magical time, and Gil thinks 2010 is boring and that the 20s were the best time to be alive. And yeah. It's this golden age thinking where people think that another era is better than their own. Yeah, you always want what you can't have. Kind exactly. Of thing. Yeah. Um, don't know what you got till it's gone, too, right? <laughs> so, shaka, bro. A little shaka to that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, no. So, there's a really funny part, though, where um, a historian is reading to Gil a manuscript from Adriana, the mistress of Picasso and also Hemingway. Mm-hmm. Girl kind of got around a bit, which whatever. Yeah. Do your thing, chick. Girl got around. Yeah. Uh, respect. Uh, so she's talking about uh, how she's writing in her journal about how she is in Africa, kind of ran away with uh, Hemingway, but yet she's having these dreams about this this American screenwriter named Gill, who she dreamt she made love with, and he brought her these pearl earrings or necklace, and she was just so in love with them. And then he's like, What? And he's yeah. reading this in the present. And it's like the only time they really like make this connection between the past influencing the present. But it's it's quite clever. I, right. I really found it funny. And he's like, oh, shit, I got to get these earrings. I'm going to get laid. Like, yeah. if it's, I a, go, it's a witty little poke. It's, yeah. But it's not they – don't, they don't go down the rabbit hole yeah. that is – that happens in a lot of movies where, oh, you know, if I, if I touch this book in the past, it's going to fucking blow up a house yeah. in the future. And, oh, dear Lord. All this crazy stuff. Fu- yeah. Um, also, one thing about like the time travel element is they kind of close up any question I had about the time travel element. They make sense of in the movie. Like I was like, "Hey, well, is it just his dream? Is he the only one who can do it?" And then they get to the point where the wife isn't there for it, but as soon as the clock strikes, then it happens. Right. So they allude to the fact that if she was still there, she could go with him. And then even later in the film, uh, Rachel McAdams' uh, father hires a private investigator to hunt down Gil. Yeah, and, and then he, we find uh, out that he himself 
gets into this cab at 12 and disappears and goes even further and further into the past, into the Renaissance. Yeah. And it's hunted down by, like, this king. And that's is also kind of funny and also it tied up any questions about whether, you know, what are limita- is limitations about this stuff. Is it yeah. a dream? Yeah, exactly. And I kind of appreciated that in a way because it made the movie feel a little bit more whole. It kind of all kind of worked in its own right. world rather than just wondering how's this, go, how's this working, how's this going With on. this movie specifically, because I think in a lot of other films, leaving something open-ended and for the audience to, like, figure out in their own brain, like... Interstellar. Is, it, yeah. Interstellar. <laughs> Interstellar. I mean, that that works in a lot of movies. <laughs> but for this one, yeah, you're right. That little bit of closure, um, it pointed you in the right direction. Yeah, it, it made the element of time travel feel like a little bit more of like just a funny element rather than like the whole like conspiracy. Yeah. Like, is there going to be a sequel? Who's going to go back this time? I don't yeah. know. Like, it, to me, it just it made everything kind of come full circle, and I appreciate that. It was a little bit of a little, it was a little thing, but actually on the second viewing, it re- I really appreciated that. See, uh, one thing they do, the, the one thing they don't really answer, which I think is good in this circumstance, is the fact that, you know, now that uh, Gil has sort of found his way in the present, does he ever bother trying to go back to the past again? Right. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. They, they never answer know, that, but I think I that. like... It's implied that, that he's kind of over that. It's implied that he realizes that I need to stay in the pa- present and kind of deal with my own... Yeah. But, I don't know, I guess maybe that is kind of the equal- equilibrium he finds in the way that it's like um, he doesn't necessarily want to live in the past, but he's going to bring elements of the past into the future with him and move right forward Right, to affect it. it in a positive way. Yeah, so, I mean, that works, I guess, and maybe in hindsight, more I think about it, that kind of works for me a bit more, too. But um, I think maybe it's time we d- delve into, like, the biggest theme of this movie, which I think is just nostalgia. Yeah, it's, well, 100%. It, it, I mean, we've kind of touched upon in, with past and present, but um, the whole movie plays the idea of nostalgia and modernism and, like, what's current now and what was cherished years and years ago. Yeah. Um, and it's this idea of people being so obsessed with, you know, uh, media and um, infrastructure and community and society of a, of a earlier time mm-hmm. and kind of romanticizing those ideas and seeing them as better than what you're experiencing now. Right. And I mean, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that still listens to music. I, when I grew up, I grew up with or watch old TV shows and I definitely feel nostalgia about like media personally, yeah. which I guess you could definitely lump lit- literature in too. Yeah. That he feels the same way about media in that sense. Um, but I think maybe this movie is trying to critique the idea of people be going overboard with that and like living in the past and not actually, you know, making something of them now. Right. And it's a, like a literal sense where he's literally moving into the past. But the way the way it's silly for me is that it's like he goes to the past, but it's exactly what he dreams of, mm-hmm. you know. And there's never really a negative. The only thing that becomes negative is that he realizes that the life he had in the present with his wife was shitty, and he had to change it. Yeah, that's kind of all that really happens. Yeah, you're right. They never, they never allude to the fact that you can only come back one more time, or right. you know, or the store's closing, or you know, uh, if you stay here any longer, like you'll never be able to go home. They never do one of those. Yeah, yeah. It just it always seems like a door he can open and do any time. He can just go there whenever. Um, and he is writing this novel about a man who works in a nostalgia shop. Coincidentally, yeah. Uh, and it's exactly him, essentially. He's writing a book about himself and how he um, is this 
kind of this keeper of all these mementos and memories of a past time. And he loves the idea of these old writers and the way they lived and the way they wrote and how they became creative and stuff like that. And becomes a little bit meta in a sense where uh, Gertrude Stein again mentions, oh, your book was great, but Hemingway mentioned that part about the main character's wife. How could he not realize that she was having an affair with him? Yeah. And he's like, what? So he goes to the past, uh, pre- present and essentially admits that characters in that book are based on his life. Yeah. Um, that's kind of even more of a meta-narrative talking about, I really do think Woody Allen puts himself in this role. And I was talking right. to he someone. He puts himself in this role of a person putting himself in, in a, a role. role. And it's kind of this double parallel. And I was thinking to myself, I thought that was like kind of really clever. And I was like, yeah, like Owen Wilson is exactly Woody Allen in this movie. And I brought it uh, to my boss, actually. And he's like, you're right, but you're also wrong because Woody Allen puts himself in every movie. Go back and watch any Woody Allen movie and every character is Woody Allen. <laughs> and it's really weird. And now that I think about it, he's completely right. But nonetheless, it's, it is interesting because he's a screenwriter. Woody Allen is obviously a screenwriter. Yeah. He's talking about how, ah, oh, writing scripts are easy, but writing a novel, that's hard work. Yeah. That's what they did in the 20s, and the 20s were a good time. Yeah. It's just like, it's kind of like that, uh, you know, looking back at like, sometimes people romanticize the 50s, or that's when real men lived, and that's how, you know, you right. woke up and you had a bunch of two-by-fours on your shoulder, and you walked down to the lake, <laughs> and you made a boat, and you swam in that boat, and you caught your fish, and you fried yeah. it on the beach, and then you, yeah, I don't know, like, it's it's that, in a different sense, but it's it's kind of saying, like, this time was better than now. Right. And not coming to terms with the idea that you can still make the present how you want. You can still live out your life the way you want to. You know, it's really easy to put the past on sort of a pedestal and say, oh, it was so great, because you're you're remembering it based on, you know, what's been captured and, you know, literature back then and all that kind of stuff. So it's easy to put it on a pedestal and say it's really great. But, you know... If you're living there every single, like if you lived in the 20s, you probably wouldn't appreciate it nearly as much. Exactly, and that's it's the that same thing for you Adriana know. Adriana is the same way in this film because she realizes that you know I don't like the 20s, but the turn of the century, that's where I was at. Let's go yeah. back there, and it's funny too because I think that's kind of where the movie does shine. That's kind of where you know the the climax of the film happens is he realizes that Adriana, she's like he's like, how could you not love the 20s? This is the best, like. You love a different time. I love this time. It's just a never-ending cycle. I need to go back to the present and kind of... Try to find that here. Exactly. Um, and kind of a side love story, kind of this, like, kind of push to the side that becomes kind of forefront at the end of the film is that he meets this woman named Gabrielle who's working at a nostalgia store, store coincidentally, and she's packaging, uh, or she's moving around some old crates of records, and he finds a record that he likes, and he's mentioning it to her that he really likes her, this artist. He's like, oh, I like him too. And then literally don't see her for another like 45 minutes. And then yeah. at the end of the movie, he bumps into her after he tells his wife that they should end things. She's like, oh, I thought of the other day. We got a record from that same artist. And he's like, oh, I like people who think about me. And then it starts raining and he's and she's like, oh, let's walk in the rain. I like the rain. To me, that sounds like an Owen Wilson line. Oh, it is Owen Wilson. It's, it's an it's, Owen Wils- oh, Wilson God. line. That guy. <laughs> Do you did. think Owen Wilson ad-libbed that scene? You think that wasn't Woody Allen? That was Owen Wilson. Well, I'll put it to you this way: I think he ad libbed all of you, me, and Dupree. Wow. So. Also, Joe Bit Taylor. <laughs> oh, dude, great flick. <laughs> wow. S- catch us next week for Drew Bit Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Don't joke. We might actually do that one. Actually, I would see that forever. I don't know if I'd want to rewatch it. Uh, no, I don't think I would. Joe Bit Taylor's not good. Um, anyways, uh, but the thing is, is like talking about nostalgia. It's a little hard to kind of like say anything more only because like we were talking about earlier 
the first 20 minutes of this movie literally just talk about how this man is obsessed with the past and how it's a fantasy. And, that, and then he lives out his fantasy of going to the past. Yeah, and like that, that was actually kind of cool. Like, right, like that's the best part of the film, I would say. It's him going to the past and seeing how great it was. And I kind of, in hindsight, I kind of like how there wasn't a scene where he like saw the past as this evil thing, as like... He's like, oh, it's right. actually evil, and like, I'm gonna get hurt here. I'm gonna get stuck in the like past. It, it or, remained like, as magical as he as he thought it yeah, was. Yeah, and he kind of came into his own, realizing that sure, it's magical, but there's more to it than that. Right. And I think that is kind of where the movie doesn't necessarily try to take such a dark turn. That's yeah. I never thought about that. There could have been a scene where it's like, oh, I'm trapped in the past now. How am I gonna get back? They they could have made <laughs> it dark, but you're right. I'm glad they didn't go that direction. Um, I'm glad they stuck with the positivity yeah. and him going back to the present to, like, you know, right his wrongs and fix his life and find the magic in his own life. And, you know, it was happy. It's an upbeat, nice film. It is. You know, it is upbeat. It is. Um, I just think I had real problems with the character of Gil. <laughs> yeah. Near the end of the movie. He's a bit of a snob. He's just, I, you can tell he's just kind of has lived a lavish lifestyle of sorts. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he... he d- He's got money. He's not really afraid of much. And true, at this point, true. he's taken for granted what he has and searching for, you know, bigger meaning in some respect. Man, which is totally cool, agree. but I it totally agree. comes across in a certain way that could be a little douchey. But I think even him, like, having these nostalgic, like, memories or whatever, the way they paint the picture of the 20s in this movie is so fun. It is. I know we yeah. keep saying that, but it's so true. Like that's why this movie's good. Yeah, exactly. It's my favorite part of the flick for sure. And you even, know the extended cigarette thing. Yeah, like, like the, the costume design, the way they make Paris look so beautiful. Because actually, I heard it's kind of dirty. Sorry to any Paris viewers out there. I don't know. Sorry, folks. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. Nonetheless, like they really make it seem like a really romantic, you know, artful, thoughtful city environment to be around in. Nonetheless. And it's kind of funny how they're always uh, kind of cooped up in this hotel room. And he's always like, I, he always wants to get out and get a breath of air. Because yeah. he just wants to experience the city rather than her kind of just wanting to be inside and kind of go for dinner and just kind of get it over with. Yeah. She wants to live in Malibu with yeah. Charlie Harper. <laughs> At the Malibu Beach House. Yeah. Shock abroad. To, you know, stay tuned, guys. There's always going to be an episode of Two and a Half Men later. So <laughs> It's coming up. It's coming. But I think that might be a good place to wrap it up, honestly. Yeah, honestly, there's not too much more to say because the idea of nostalgia has kind of been... We've been talking about that all the time. That was our our third topic. I still think it's the most important, but when you're talking about the past and present, it's going to come up. It's the major theme throughout the movie. Um, Some other major instances is basically his time travels, love of the past. Um, Again, that comes back to nostalgia and the fact that he was trying to find some sort of magic in his own life. Yeah, and like just a closing thought, kind of what I wrote down here is like, the film gives a way to view nostalgia in a positive and negative sense, which I thought was really interesting because not only do you, can you see nostalgia as like someone who might be too nostalgic and is dwelling in the past, but you can also see nostalgia as an uplifting way to remember memories, kind of like how we keep a photo album around, right? Yeah. Um, but this film only allows for the main character, Gil, to be the correct path to follow. Right. They kind of only show his perspective on nostalgia is the right one. And it yeah. kind of does... There's no real real outside influence. Yeah. He doesn't accept any influence. Uh, exactly. That's exactly it. And I th- it's kind of this weird workaround because the movie lets you kind of know that Gil has flaws. But at the same time, he's the main character. You're, he's the one you're focused on. Yeah. So you don't really have anything else to compare it yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I also say... Although his existence can show the need to find the flaws in dwelling the past, 
he can truly appreciate what's important then and now. Right. So, so overall, I mean, this yeah. is an this is an upbeat, pretty happy, pretty good movie. Um, you know, don't look too hard for some symbolism when you're watching it because you probably won't find any. But I'd over say, yeah. say overall, this was a good movie to check out for the second time. We we've come across some themes we haven't recently. And the themes are there straightforward. And I think anyone's going to really grasp onto that. A wider audience can really have some fun with it. People who don't know much about the historical figures in this are going to have some fun with it. And I think that's where the movie shines. And I yeah. highly recommend this film, but I do want to just point out that on the second viewing, it has kind of this lowered is a, down this is a on my notch. Film. You watch this movie with your mom. Yeah, you watch you it with know? your mom. You know, you watch it with your mom, or it's, it's a great movie... You know, like we, we were talking about like how Drive is a good movie for trying to get into like film. Yeah, I would say that like Man in Paris is the kind of movie you watch before Drive. Right, it's kind of like just before Drive. Yeah, you watch it like oh cool like I can like see the arts being interesting. Something yeah, yeah I can see the arts being interesting. But and it then doesn't you kind of see push. the idea of a more critical thinking aspect in film. This yeah. movie doesn't do that, but I do think it's a must watch. I'm yeah. gonna leave it at that for me. All right. Yeah. Anyways, guys. Um, I rambled on there for a second, but just make sure you guys check out all of our social medias, Facebook, uh, Instagram, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on iTunes, all the SoundCloud uh, RSS feeds, I guess. Anything uh, podcast, podcast stuff. you know, we've got it. So check it out. And if you are interested in hearing some more content and us doing some more things like making new notebooks and T-shirts and all that kind of stuff, check us out on Patreon. Uh, donate whatever you can. No pressure, of course. And by this point, actually, we have already launched our first Patreon project, which is the Two and a Half Men, uh, watching all 12 seasons in one month. So please check that out. The first episode's out. Next episode will be coming out shortly. Say, so stay tuned for that. So if you're, yeah. you know, if you're buddies of ours and you were going to call us to go for a drink, sorry, we can't. We're watching Two and a Half Men for the next four hours. In fact, we're about to go do that right now. So, anyways, we well, guys, leave you with that. I'm Kyle. I'm Dan. We're the second viewing. Shocker, bro.